0: You
2: are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Gunpowder Milkshake.
0: I need to exchange some books. Come. Well, girl. You'll need a Jane Austen. A Virginia Woolf. And an Agatha Christie. For reading. Your talents are needed. Somebody stole from us. We need that money back a ah. change of plan. They kidnapped an eight-year-old girl. I can't leave her to die. Oh, you know the truth. Give the kill order. Some bad men are coming to hurt us. We have to go where it's safe. OK.
3: I'm gonna teach you to always guard your back. Hi, Mom. Am
1: I a grandmother?
0: God, no. Where have you been for the last 15 years? Around, making sure you're safe. I am going to do terrible things to you girls. We're going to bring the sky down on their heads. If I get out of this alive, I'm coming for you. Make a little noise. Remember what you're dealing with. You're bleeding. It's just a scratch. You can get infected. Worms will get in there and lay eggs, and then they'll have to cut your arm off. That's what they teach you in school these days?
2: All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Gunpowder Milkshake, and the story is as follows. To protect an eight-year-old girl, a dangerous assassin reunites with her mother and her lethal associates to take down a ruthless crime syndicate and its army of henchmen. The film is starring Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, Carla Gugino, Chloe Coleman, Michelle Yeoh, Angela Bassett, and Paul Giamatti. It is written and directed by Navat Papushado, and it is co-written by Ehud Laviski. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Sarah Clements. Hello. Bianca Gardner. Hello. And Dan Baer. Go nuts, baby girl. <laughs> All right. So this is the latest Netflix movie that has been streaming now for about a week at this point where we apologize for the late review here. Uh, but this was a last minute addition to the podcast schedule um, because a lot of us had a lot of things to say about this one. <laughs> and it's interesting because I saw it you know, before the official reviews dropped. And when they did drop, I see that it's gotten more of a mixed reception than even I was anticipating, because for me, I see a lot of action movies throughout the year of all shapes and sizes, the big studio ones, the indie ones, and then you get one like this where it's sleek, it's well put together, it's stylish, it's cool. It is the very definition of style over substance, in my opinion. But compare this kind of style over substance with something like, say... One of the Fast and the Furious movies, maybe, let's say. I'll take something like this any day of the week. Let's dive into it a little bit here. Let's talk about what we think. Why don't we start off first with Sarah Clements?
1: I feel like we're going to be using the word stylish a lot tonight because...
2: It's very stylish to do so.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, it's hard for me like not to like a film that's as stylish as this one. I loved... The noir cinematography mixed with the neon was basically like eye candy, especially the first shot of Sam where the lighting has her face like half in shadow. It reminded me of, you know, Joan Crawford noirs of the 40s. Then you have the costumes and the production design on top of that, and it just makes for such a cool... Um, Smashing package I also really love the action scenes I found that the first one in the bowling alley Started off surprisingly slow But it made it like more realistic And then that last Really slow motion one in the diner Is probably my favorite action scene In a long time Um, But then there are also some things I didn't enjoy As much like the deadpan Line del- delivery I thought was Off-putting but I'm not sure if that was Intentional or not um, And I wish we got more backstory about the librarians, but I hope this sequel gives us that gives us that because the entire cast is just killer.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a page being taken out of uh, John Wick's playbook here in terms of the world building and how this world of like assassins have their own lore and code of rules that they follow so I, I agree with you sarah there's definitely i think going to be more explored in the sequel which has already been uh greenlit and ready to go at this point it has yeah oh thank yeah. god like before
1: oh, before cool. this before this one even came out it was like
3: yeah we're getting a sequel
2: <laughs> oh, thank god
3: yeah. yeah
2: bianca what did you think of this movie
3: Yeah, so, you know, that you have those types of movies where it's not a five-star movie. It's not like, you know, Citizen Kane (laughs) level of, like, greatness. But there are those kind of movies where you just can't help but continue to watch them, like, over and over again. They have that watchability factor. And this is definitely one of those movies that falls into that category for me, that sort of, like, movie that... No matter what you're doing, what day you've had, you could pop on and you can enjoy yourself for like, you know, um, nearly two hours worth of like fun. And there's mayhem and there's slow motion and there's cheesy one liners. I feel like
2: you're describing a Quentin Tarantino film to me right now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It has that. Yeah, it has that sort of vibe to it. Oh, yeah,
2: definitely. Definitely. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he's actually a big fan of this movie. I, uh, that would not shock me. Yeah. Oh, not at
3: all. Yeah, it's, it's less, to me, it's less pretentious and, and full of itself. It's almost like more self-aware of the fact that it is, in lots of ways, a parody of these type of action films that you have. And I really just found everything about its, its style, its mise-en-scene was so cool and flick that I was just willing to forgive it for maybe it's pacing issues or it's story or it's sort of lack of character development. So I was fully on board with this movie and I had a blast watching it, which is is great.
2: Yeah. You're having fun.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Dan bear. We're up to you.
4: (laughs) Um, So it's very weird because I watched this a little over a week ago so I could review it for the site. And I had a lot of fun. But at the same time, as time passed from them, I didn't really think about it much after the initial like 24 hours after I saw it. And... When it came time to do this podcast review, I was really excited, and I wasn't sure if I was going to watch it again before we did this, and I had time, so I put it on, and to be honest, I thought that I was not going to have as good a time with it the second time through, and I was so mistaken. (laughs) I still had almost the same amount of fun I had the first time watching it. Like everyone has said, it is supremely stylish. I love that each fight scene has its own look and feel with the production design and the cinematography. Um, that that bowling alley, the first big action set piece, when she entered there for the first time, <laughs> the first time I saw it, I think I applauded because... I I just felt it. I felt pre-excited for the fight scene just seeing the production design, the lighting, everything. It was so great. And I love that it has that sort of pop art, almost uh, comic book graphic novel quality style to it that makes you think it's based on a graphic novel, but it actually isn't. Mm. It's just ripping the aesthetic from those kind of movies. And I really, really love that. The one thing that doesn't work for me, and I feel really, really bad about this, because I love her dearly, is Karen Gillen. Mm. And I think this is what B was talking about, where the tone didn't always work. For me, that, that was mostly contained in her performance. And I get what they were trying to go for Um, to make her sound like those noir narrator type characters but I don't think it really works in a movie this bright and poppy. Um, I think because she doesn't have that sort of natural badass chemistry like Charlize Theron had in Atomic Blonde or in Mad Max Fury Road but she doesn't have enough that energetic oomph that this kind of movie would require if you don't have that sort of natural badass quality,
1: yeah. When I was talking about like off-putting line delivery, I was mm. just talking about Karen. <laughs> 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 Hello, girl <laughs> did not want to name drop, but you know
4: love her. Love her dearly from plenty of other things. But I think that she is where this movie loses me a little. But it's so little. And I have so much fun with everything else. The score. The score. I love this score so much.
1: Yeah, the Western keys yes. in the score. Yeah, I love that. It's so great. A, yeah.
3: And the vintage-like songs are just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that they used "Piece of
4: My Heart for that library shoot em out It was so good.
2: So I, I knew within the first opening moments of this movie from Frank Elfman's uh, score that I was probably going to love this movie because anytime you hear a score like that, and I don't mean when I say like that, I mean, that it has like a distinct personality to it it feels like there's been already more care and craft put into the movie than your standard action film. And I do think that there are a lot of elements in this from a technical standpoint that do set it apart from a lot of other action films that I've seen this year. Am I elevating it towards the level of greatness on on the likes of, say, Die Hard, Mad Max, Fury Road? You know, it's like, no, no. But compared to, you know most of the action films i'm sure that we are going to start seeing more of as theaters start to reopen i i equate this to uh the fu- level of fun that i had watching nobody earlier this year where it was just a a blast to watch it was highly entertaining it was all style very very little substance and i got what i wanted from an entertainment standpoint i was very very entertained by this movie um i i definitely agree with some of the criticisms that are being leveled here i have to disagree about karen gillen though. i'm gonna go to bat for her with this one a little bit because i actually think that what she is doing here is reflective of what the character has gone through as someone who's been abandoned and has had to emotionally withdraw themselves from every aspect of life she is highly motivated by her mission and her work, and she does not allow to have emotion in anything that she does. That when it starts to creep back in, as she starts to feel something for um, Emily or for her mother again, uh, when she comes back into her life, it, it, it still feels like it is having a hard time finding its way through this very carefully built wall that she's put up for herself and for me it's like that worked because it almost reminded me of what Uma Thurman was doing in the Kill Bill movies sometimes where every line delivery was very cool um but obviously that those movies have those moments of heightened emotion for that character we don't really get that here with uh Sam in this film uh but I don't know. Just like something about it, though. She wasn't like overly sexualized or anything. She was just simply someone that was, I think, very broken. And for that, for me, it it worked.
1: Yeah, I can see what you mean there, Matt, with the emotion side of it.
2: Yeah, I get that.
4: And I get what they were going for with it. It's just that it didn't work for me on a character level. It didn't feel complete somehow. It felt off. Yeah.
3: I was just going to say that we don't really see enough of her having her own, like, downtime in between the action. Yeah. We see it briefly at the start of the movie Mm -hmm. where she's watching, I can't remember what cartoon she's watching because she's eating cereal and, like, sewing herself up. And I did like that line where she says that she's just sewing. (laughs) Uh, I love that. That was was really funny. And I, I wish there was more of her life
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW group. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh,
2: Like you said there, Sarah, the movie never slows down to give her those layers. Um, and, And that's where that whole argument of, like I said, style over substance comes into play. Instead, the movie would rather just get us onto the next set piece and just keep the plot moving and sacrifice a bit of character depth in order for us to get there. It gives us like the bare bone essentials, but it doesn't really... Further explore. If anything, I think that it leaves itself totally open to go deeper with the characters in a sequel. If they try to do the same thing over again, where it's just action, mayhem, violence, and style, and they don't take that opportunity to. Get us to go deeper with these characters that are now established that's going to be a missed opportunity in my opinion
4: oh absolutely
2: so another thing too that i like want to comment on here is uh sarah opened it up by saying that it's got like this pop neon light uh neon lit like sense of color and shadow and really evoking neo-noir type of vibes with it all and i i gotta say like it's one of those things where. It did feel like it was ripped straight out of a comic like was like what was said before. I felt like I was watching something uh, akin to almost like Sin City at times where it felt like the frames were lifted straight out of a graphic novel of some sort. But obviously that is uh not the case. I th- I believe this is a purely original work if I if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So kudos to them for you know, putting in that level of effort to give off that feeling and to kind of create their own lore with everything. You know, you've got the, you got the diner, you've got the library, you've got the hospital. And so all of these different environments have their own rules that we kind of learn as we go. And I I really like that, that level of Intrigue uh, is something that really excites me nowadays whenever we're exploring the underground world of assassins. <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: And I also love how, like, sort of out of time and place it is. Right, like, yeah. Everyone is yeah. speaking American English, for, except for Lena Headey, but, you know, she has backstory. And... So, but it does, it doesn't look like any American town that I have ever seen. And it was actually shot, um, on location in Berlin, I think. And then everyone is using flip phones. Yeah. <laughs> that made me really happy. And I'm not
2: sure why, but I really I love
3: that. Panda oh, phone. Can I just oh my say God. That?
2: The bear phone, everything. How about like her insistence to use, uh, like old school weapons? Oh yeah.
1: And I love how, like, outside the diner, like, I like how it's so ambiguous with, like, the time period. Because outside the diner, there's, like, a 50s car. And I'm like, hey, what year is this? And then they flash back and there's, like, modern cars. But they have flip phones. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But I love it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's like a world just sort of sidestepped from our own. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. I just love the colors of everything. You know, this is um, the production designer also did the production design for Atomic Blonde. And I think that really shows. Like, these, I didn't
1: even know that. Wow.
4: Yeah, the two mm-hmm. movies share this really similar visual sensibility. Like, that's what I want for my action movies. Give me unique, memorable fight scenes. And this one absolutely does that. And the production design is a huge part of it. You have the bisexually lit bowling alley and the white and green doctor's office that is just like so fluorescent and i uh, and then of course the library which i will admit gave me a little bit anxiety seeing all those bullets go through
2: those books they're just filled, they're just filled with guns anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> it's true yeah
1: <laughs> i want to know if people actually went there to check out books like if they actually treated it like a real library yeah <laughs>
2: I was thinking that, too, the whole time. I was thinking to myself, like, what does this diner do if they have somebody walk in that doesn't know what kind of an establishment it is and they just want to order something?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Maybe it's enough off the beaten path that no one else would go there.
2: But I think that that's like the idea, right, is that this is sort of in its own unique way, dipping its toe a bit into fantasy where we do have to suspend that sense of realism here and really, really, really let ourselves kind of just get swept up in what the movie is, you know, giving us here. Um I, I have heard some people level some criticisms at that criticisms at that thinking that, oh, this is totally based within the real world. And there are all these plot holes and I have all these questions and stuff. And it's like, I'm sorry, what
4: action film is ever based in the real world?
2: Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm just telling you what I've been hearing because people are very either mixed negative on this. And it's like when I watched it, I didn't even contemplate any of this stuff. I was. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was just totally bought into what the movie was serving me. And what it was serving me was some female badassery. And I was loving every single moment of it. Like, yeah, I, I get it. Okay, fine. John Wick already did it. Okay. That's fine. It's John Wick with women. Is that really like the worst thing in the world? It is actually the best thing in the world. So.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's why, like you say, like we have all these action films with like men and their characters are never really that developed, are they?
2: Yeah, they're given their primary motivation and it's kept very simple. And that's that, you know. And like, honestly, John Wick did it
4: first. No, no, no. Kill Bill Volume One did it before John Wick. So everyone can please take several seats.
2: I mean, and we all know that Kill Bill's got its own influences. And so, well, I I do think that John Wick was probably more on the minds of those that were making this movie this time around, probably, because how can you not make those comparisons with the neon lighting and the underground uh, assassin society with with its own set of rules and stuff? I mean, come on, those comparisons are pretty, pretty much there.
4: I mean, fine on that level. But like, is it still fun? Yes. Yeah. There are a million unoriginal action movies that come out every year. Exactly. And all I ask is that they be fun and really be originals, not in their story, because it's never going to be a truly original story, but in how it's shot. And this came up with so many good ideas. Like, each and every fight scene, there was something – I mean – Okay, so we're going to do a car chase, but we're going to keep it to like one level of a parking garage, and the driver can't use their hands, so she has to have a child sit on her lap and drive the car.
2: That—that's what I loved about this. I love that every action set piece had a layer of, well, what if we did this instead, and it just made everything feel a lot more fresh.
3: Oh my god, the hospital.
2: Yes. When I, when I think about that scene in the hospital, I'm just like, that is one of the most fun action scenes I've seen in a movie probably since, Jesus. I'm like, in terms of tone, like kick ass from
3: 2010. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely has that that sort of um,
2: right. That same energy. That same level yeah. of violence to it. Right. But it's like one of those things, though, where you're watching just purely for the entertainment's sake. Nothing else, nothing more. It is ridiculous. It absolutely is. I mean, these guys are high on laughing gas (laughs) during the entire scene while she is flailing her lifeless arms around. It's ridiculous. (laughs) the the repeated shots of them like the guy on the one of them's on crutches and the other
4: one is in the wheelchair yeah. and like inching slowly down the hallway towards the room that she's in. Just, it makes me laugh. It's so funny.
2: I like that scene probably the most in terms of its creativity. I gotta admit the bowling alley fight scene. I will say this the wide shots were very distracting to me because you have three on one and you can definitely tell that while one person's attacking, the other two are kind of waiting their ter- for their turn. And that's like a common problem nowadays in stunt choreography where... I've noticed it a lot more frequently nowadays in movies, and it did pull me out of it for a minute. But the close-ups and any time that they were not in those wide shots, um, I didn't have that problem here. But it was most apparent to me in the bowling alley scene.
4: That's really interesting because I, I don't recall that in the in that scene. But I'm thinking about the other scenes, and like people are constantly moving. Mm-hmm. There's no standing still at all, which is super impressive
2: yeah like in the library scene for example yeah yeah there's a lot of kinetic energy going on in there with the editing the bullets flailing and the pages of the books and everything that i think that they're able to hide it a bit more because the frame just has so much packed into it um and then not to mention their cross-cutting right with the other characters also uh having their own mini fight scenes if you will
1: yeah yeah we really have to like give it to the stunt choreographers because this one has some really cool shit going on and i love how the all the librarians sort of had their own fighting style
3: yeah Yeah.
4: Mm -hmm. oh and i also love did you notice that the three librarians were dressed up like um the three fairies from Sleeping Beauty.
3: Oh my god, I was just no. gonna say that. What? Yeah. Yes! Yeah. The four of
4: Fauna and Merriweather.
3: Yeah.
2: That is awesome.
3: <laughs> I did
4: not realize that. The visual wit in this movie, like that, and with the um, oh god, with the robbers in the universal monster
2: masks.
3: That was and great. then and how they worked. act
2: mask in the heart with
1: a wooden stake. Mm-hmm. I love that part.
2: I I do have to question, and without giving away spoilers, there is one character that doesn't make it towards the end of this movie, and I got I got to ask some questions about that because did it not feel like we didn't get enough time, and that we were almost robbed, if you will, because now if. I just feel like there was more and they didn't have to do that. Does anyone agree or disagree?
3: Yeah, I am depressed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's because, of this, like I said, this thing about them not having enough downtime in between scenes, mm-hmm. in between action sequences. And I would have loved to have, you know, kind of like in Black Widow where they had a bit like the dinner table scene yeah you know more of that like more sort of that energy where they're like bickering to and forth and you know everybody's like chatting over each other and stuff that could have really worked quite well here especially if we're going to have like karen gillen's character sam be deadpan and her sort of responses and maybe then getting out of that sort of robotic attitude of becoming a bit more sort of human
2: yeah they try to they try to inject like these moments between her and emily uh where she's wrestling with the fact that emily is in the situation that she's in because of her but i agree bianca it's like that's like the emotion that they're hoping will overcompensate for the lack of character development um, I, I do feel like the character Sam, could have gotten a little bit more to do there. And I think that extends, once again, to all the other characters because they do such a good job of setting up the librarians that we care for them as a unit so much so that at a certain point I was like, I want to know more about them individually. Yeah. I want to know more about... Lena Headey's character and what she's been up to. This movie's done such a good job of getting me invested that now I just want to know more.
3: We need a prequel. Yeah. Oh my God, yes. Please. We definitely need a
4: prequel called The Librarians, and it's just the four of them, and I would absolutely love it. I was shocked that almost all of the character development in this movie was in Lena Headey's character.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
4: And the other thing is, like, I thought she gave, by a pretty decent margin, the best performance in the film. I think that everyone else is doing their best when they are acting opposite her. And I think she shows the most emotional range in it. And it doesn't feel out of place ever. Or when it does, it feels out of place because her character is out of place, having been disappeared for 15
2: years she she definitely gets a citation from me for her line delivery when sam asks her where does that go and she goes fucking narnia <laughs> oh, that was so i lost it at that moment i mm-hmm. thought that was the, like the most hilarious line of dialogue in the whole movie
3: mm-hmm. is that your attempt at an english accent
2: <laughs> let's move on um <laughs> Uh, we mentioned the score and the uh, soundtrack earlier. Um, I, I I do feel that the pieces of music here are used effectively well, um, especially because nowadays it's become sort of a cliche almost that when you have these action movies, if you don't have these, you know, rock and soundtracks to kind of like back up your stylish visuals or your sequences, it, it almost then kind of doesn't have that same energy that you're hoping hoping for because then you're relying obviously on an original score to compensate for that and most action scores are typically very generic so the songs always help to give the movie that sense of style there's that word again that we're uh constantly alluding to here um did you guys feel that the soundtrack was well utilized was were there any uh tracks that felt out of place to you What, what did you guys think
4: i Pretty
3: much. I really that. liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say they have that uh, American diner feel to them. You mm, know. From, like like a the jukebox. 1950s. Yeah. 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 hmm
2: I like that.
1: Yeah, like jukebox, jukebox music. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say but, that word.
4: <laughs> but it's nothing like these songs aren't overused in movies.
2: Right. I'm looking at you, Cruella. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I know. I was like, wait, is that Janis Joplin? Like, I got was the so last excited. Time I heard her song
0: in the movie.
2: When uh, Carla uh, Gugino takes out the uh, big machine gun and take another little piece of my heart just starts playing. <laughs> I was like, this is this is fantastic. And then it so they much. actually incorporated because Emily's listening to it actually on her headphones on the uh, I think it's a Walkman. Yeah, <laughs> it's a <little> Walkman. <laughs> I love <that. laughs> once again, the technology. <laughs> Uh, but that was really good. It's all it's all over now. Baby Blue by Bob Dylan was another great one. Um, as Sarah alluded to earlier, the, the diner slow motion scene. I mean, that that was really, really, really great. I yeah. I I love that choice, especially because at that point all of the action fight scenes, you know, have been creative and different from the last one. But instead of doing, um, once again, another hyper-edited fight choreography stylized action sequence, they just do this one in slow motion. I, I thought it was great. I also just
4: love Angela Bassett's face in that scene.
2: Oh.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> like, you have never seen someone so happy to be slamming a
2: man's face into a milkshake. <laughs>
1: That whole scene is like the cherry on top of the milkshake.
2: It really is. <laughs> I got to give uh, Ralph Inneson, uh credit for having one of the most evil and intimidating voices I've ever heard from an actor in my life. Yeah. He doesn't really have much to do in this. He's your generic, you know, big bad. But I do like his diner conversation scene that he has with Karen Gillan towards the end where he's talking about his daughters and then his son. I... I I, I wish, once again, I wish there was more of him. I wish there was more of everybody. Because I feel that the glimpses that they give to all of these characters to us are a good enough entry point for us to get invested enough that once they're gone, then it's like, ah, oh, I wanted more, you know? Yeah. yeah it's-
3: there's this wasted potential with so many of the characters. and. That's what kind of frustrates me is that they they set up this world and this interesting sort of array of um, variety of different people who exist in this world and then they just don't expand on it and at times it just, uh, sometimes it works because uh, those people are sort of immediately killed off like the free knuckleheads as she keeps calling them. Um, But then for like the main sort of, antagonists they're just not presented to us all that well so it's it's very frustrating
4: yeah it's kind of like they didn't have to do any character development really for this kind of movie but they did just a little bit of it which turns out is not enough like if you're going to do it you kind of have to go all the way with it I think um, like in something like a Kill Bill Or you have to leave the characters complete ciphers.
2: And then, of course, you can't go wrong whenever you cast Paul Giamatti in a movie. That's my guy right there. (laughs) He is the kind of actor I feel that elevates every movie that he's a part of, no matter how big or how small the role he has. I think he's just one of those all time great character actors and. He's been in this role before. He's actually played this in other action movies before. I mean, has anyone here ever seen Shoot 'em Up with Clive Owen? Yes. <laughs> if you've never seen Shoot 'em Up, uh give that a whirl at some point and you'll be kind of amazed it's at how fun. how different uh, an action movie uh you know from that time has evolved into where we are now, but <laughs> I always think that Paul Giamatti is just a welcome presence in general and he is someone that I, you know, once again, I don't want to be giving away spoilers or anything like that. But that's a character that I am looking forward to being a part of the sequel. All right. So for final thoughts on Gunpowder Milkshake, Bianca, we'll start off with you first.
3: Yeah, my final thoughts. I really like this movie. I can understand where where people have problems with it. But I think it's a movie where you have to sort of disconnect yourself and, and just like go with it go with the flow and just not take everything too seriously or literal and I think the problem with, that people have faced is because they do have those uh, moments of character development where sometimes it's just not necessary to have that just almost have these characters as blank slates. and I do think Karen Gillen is actually really great in this role and I think she's not given enough action roles really and when she does get to do them she she is quite good and I think that um, her character is really interesting And I, I would love to see them develop it a lot more in a sequel and it's nice to see a movie where all the that you know all the female characters on screen aren't just discussing men all the time and there is that sort of work going on and this sort of empowerment without it being sort of necessarily criticizing men or having that sort of reality to it in that way even though it's not real if that makes sense so yeah I really really enjoyed it but um, I want to see how well it will stand up in terms of its watchability factor I think it's going to be a film that is definitely once you keep watching it, you, you're going to get to a point where you're going to quote every line because there's going to be there's some really great lines in there. And I would love to see some cosplay as well with this because um, some of the outfits are just fantastic. So, yeah, yes. I'm on board for that.
2: <laughs> All right, let's hear next from Sarah Clements.
3: I just want to give a shout out to
1: Chloe Coleman. We cannot forget to mention her. I loved her yes. in in I loved her in My Spy, and I think she's you know wonderful in this film. So,
2: yeah, I agree. She's the emotional backbone to this movie, and without her, mm-hmm. the movie would have no emotion whatsoever (laughs) so (laughs) credit to her definitely
1: yeah and I liked the contrasts between her character and Sam because they're also incredibly similar like in the way their parents were with them and stuff I really liked that not to
2: mention yeah there is this parallel that's being drawn like you're saying in terms of Emily going down the same route that Sam does that could lead to her one day being also this serial killer quote unquote (laughs) As she she says (laughs) at one point, assassin. So, yeah, I I did like that. Um, And once again, I feel that there is room to explore this even more so, but at least the foundation has been laid here. Uh, All right, Dan.
4: I love the concept in the opening moments of this that a group of men have a woman on hand to clean up after them when things go wrong. Because, of course, they would. Mm -hmm. Like you were just saying about Chloe Coleman, I love that the movie never once skimps on the trauma that she is going through watching all of this. Right. That's part of, I think, what makes to the tone of this being a little weird, because it's kind of melancholy and dark at the same time that it is very, you know, pop action movie. But I really appreciated all the little moments when they sort of check in with her. People tell her to close their eyes, close her eyes, or you know when she just have to see, when she has to walk out in the doctor's office to pick up the phone for Sam and just to walk past like three not just dead bodies but like pretty violently, grossly dead bodies, and it doesn't it, you feel the weight of that moment for her. And I think that's really important. Like That is something that not many movies would do. And it's just like all the little things in this movie, even though there are some problems with the screenplay and how they develop um, the characters and themes, I think the little details of artistry that are found here already put it so far above most other similar movies that I can't help but wholeheartedly recommend this.
2: So much like what you said earlier, Dan, I, too, didn't really think much about this movie after my initial viewing. I was definitely on a sugar rush after yes. it was over, and I was super excited to tell people about this movie and super excited mm-hmm. to, you know, let everyone know, oh, my God, this movie's so much fun. You guys are going to have a blast watching this. And then I didn't really think about it after that. It kind of just faded but then I did find myself re-watching it again before this podcast, Like You, and the same thing happened where I really enjoyed the act of watching it that I, like Bianca said, I could see myself in a couple years' time like, oh, you want to just throw something on really quick? This is one of those let's just throw it on kind of movies. Yeah. And you don't have to like invest much in it, and you can just have a good time watching it, pure and simple. And there are some people who think that that is... Not good. And so I think that they have reflected that in some of their critiques. I, I know that also the violence in a lot of cases. Some people were having issue with how violent the movie is at times. Um, I get that. and Which they wouldn't be doing if it was about men. Like, <laughs> Interesting.
1: Sips tea.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
4: They, that that has never been a critique that has held any water with the John Wick movies.
2: I, I agree with you, man. I agree. Which is why I find the criticism to be so unusual, you know? It's like, you're kind of showing your ass a little bit, aren't you? Anyway. Yeah. I'm giving this a really, really strong 7 out of 10. I really, really enjoyed it. I definitely, like Dan said, would recommend it to most people. Um with like the slightest of reservations but otherwise this is just a blast and some of the most fun i've had watching a movie uh all year and like i said earlier i would i would even do it as a double feature with nobody i think that they both have like that same quality of energy and hyperkinetic excitement and action to them that this would just make for just such a fun time so yeah uh seven out of ten for me bianca
3: Yeah, it's, um, like you say, a strong seven out of ten for me. I mean, I would like to see how it might fare up um, at the end of the year. I would like to try and watch this a few more times before um, the end of the year is out. uh, Because I have a feeling like each time I'm going to get some more out of it. So let's see.
2: Sarah?
1: Yeah, I'm a strong seven also.
2: Dan?
4: This is the kind of movie that made me angry that it was on Netflix because I really want to see it in a theater with a group of people. Yes. I am at an eight because of how much fun I had watching it.
2: All right. And I'll keep this section really, really short here. Uh, this is coming nowhere near the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> Pure and simple.
3: Sadly, I mean, no. I, I, wish, <laughs> though, I really yeah. do wish, like, for those costumes. I really love them. That's so ho- yes. that whole luck they all had.
2: I love so many elements of this movie. I really do. The score. But, uh, yeah, the score. I already have it downloaded. I was listening to it earlier today. <laughs> if Honestly, like if I could hope
4: if I could get one Oscar nomination for this, it would be that score.
2: Well, keep dreaming. Like you were saying, it's
4: just so full of personality, Matt, and that is automatically a sign that you're in for a good time.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that aspect of it. All right, everyone. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Gunpowder Milkshake on the Next Best Picture podcast. Bianca, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet.
3: Uh, I'll be slapping some milkshake and you can um, find me at the film B on Twitter.
2: Sarah Clements?
3: You can find me at Mildred Spheres on Twitter.
2: And Dan Bear, You can find me on
4: Twitter at dancing dan on film
2: and you can find me at next best picture thank you so much everyone for listening to the next best picture podcast we are par- proud to be part of the evergreen podcast network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts be sure to leave us a review on apple podcasts and let us know what you think of the show we really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at patreon